Well, hello, all you fab ghouls out there. Welcome to another edition of The Fab Five. And I am your co-host, Atom Danger, uh, joined as I am always with my dear, dear pal, Beetle Ed. Beetle Ed, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Adam Danger? Well, I'm doing better. I'm doing well. Lots of, no complaints here, I'll say that. Um, Staying healthy, I hope. Trying to. Trying to. Uh, well, I think I'm doing a good job of it. I'm alive. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to all the fab listeners out there. So there's no more I can, I can ask out of this life than that. Well, you sound very healthy. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. I'll take that as a compliment. Now, today, Beatlehead, we're going to talk about the Fab Five nonsense songs of the Beatles. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is correct. Now, um, you came up with this topic. Uh, how did you come up with it, and, and, and what are we going to talk about today? Well, you know, the way I came up with it, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric fame uh, stole our idea and started his own Beatles podcast you know, some three days after we came up with this idea. Coincidence, I think not. Mm-hmm. Nope. But regardless, uh, well, I've been listening to it, you know, to keep a, keep an eye on the competition. <laughs> As and, one does. Um, I've listened to them talk the Beatles, and I've just, it's really, it's irked me a little bit when they kind of go through, they're doing the, they're doing the whole thing where they go through it album by album every mm-hmm. episode. And I just find myself a little irritated at how dismissive they are of so-called nonsense songs, you know? They're like, oh, yeah, that song, I like that song when I was a kid or whatever, when I was a teenager, but it's really just a nonsense song. It's There's nothing there. There's nothing to it. And so they just write it off, you know? As if, like, uh, I mean, for me, I think you were always more of a lyrically focused music fan i think than i was yeah, i've always yeah. been more of like a, a musical music fan and um lyrics weren't always so important to me so that wasn't really a prerequisite for a favorite song or a beloved beatles song so i thought we would come up with our own lists of the top five so-called nonsense songs to sort of reclaim you know some of these from the waste bin that others would relegate uh, them too if you get what i'm saying it's kind yeah. of a difficult topic it's hard to define i mean i tried a little bit in our conversation and our messages to sort of lay out the definition of a nonsense song it's but it is sort of up to each person's interpretation so i resisted the impulse to sort of hammer it to death and i figured that would sort of lead to more interesting results. Hopefully we'll have some different interpretations and some different picks. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, one of the things I was trying to think of, too, was just trying to delineate between, let's say, psychedelic poetry and surrealist poetry in some of the lyrics, right? I was thinking of songs where the lyrics were most definitely like the secondary, if not like lower on the totem pole of the song. Uh, if the song, you know, there's the Beatles as they wrote music, they usually would come up with a tune first and then try to pick up a couple of lyrics and make sure it worked. Uh, on this, I was think I was listening to this YouTube video. Uh, it's a demo of something, right? It's about eight minutes and it's pretty cool to check out. But within the first 30 seconds, you can hear that they're in the studio, George and John, 
And uh, George says, I've been working on the song for six months. And uh, it says, uh, you know, something in the way you move attracts me like, and I don't know the rest of it. And then John Lennon goes, just say whatever comes into your head, you know, attracts me like a cauliflower or whatever until the words come out right. And I think that's pretty interesting because it kind of shows that, you know, the Beatles would come in with, with ideas of songs and, and pretty, I think they had it for the most part, what they wanted to do with the song, but the other Beatles could come in and, and clean it up. But also in terms of a songwriter, sometimes it wasn't so calculated and it wasn't so thought out in one whole piece. They just kind of uh, figured it out and they played around with it. Uh, it also reminds me of something that Beatlehead, you and I really enjoy, is that one part in Imagine where uh, there's that hippie, that American, I think he was like a Vietnam veteran that was living in John Lennon's uh, garden. Don't you remember that one? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he goes, well, how, did you, how did you come up with the lyrics? And John Lennon's just kind of like, listen, I put words together. And a lot of it's, uh, yeah, I woke up this morning. I had a good shit today. Uh, I love you, Yoko, if it's a love song. You know, it's, uh, it goes, anything fits. Anything fits. If it has relevance to your life, that's fine. But, you know, anybody does it. Dylan does it. And so John, I think, is kind of talking about, as a, as a songwriter, you know, don't take a lot of the words so, in a lot of, I look for deeper meanings and things, I think, uh, for the most part. You know, he's just trying to find words. It sounds cool. It sounds psychedelic. But it doesn't really mean too much. So when it comes to nonsense songs, uh, I try to focus on songs that, again, the lyrics were just a byproduct. Like they had a song, they had to just put lyrics in to kind of just keep the, the music going, so to speak. So I am, I'm interested to see what you have. Beetle, why don't you start off? What's your number five song in the Fab Five? All right. Don't mind if I do. Coming in at number five, um, picked a little bit of a curveball here. I've got you know my name, parentheses, look uh, up the number. Good one, good one. Uh, so this is a track that uh, I learned in my extensive Wikipedia research. Originally appeared as the B-side to the Let It Be single. Did you know that? I, don't, I didn't know that, no. I think uh, people of our generation probably encountered it on Past Masters Volume 2. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just downloading it randomly off Kazaa. But <laughs> um, this was a John Lennon uh, written number, mainly featured Paul McCartney, of course. And he referred to it himself as a, quote, comedy record. So it's sort of a just playful little tune that he was inspired to write uh, based off something he saw in the phone book. And it features some very fun type of improvisation in the studio. Really captures a very lighthearted and joyous sort of rapport between the uh, four lads from Liverpool. I think there were multiple sessions, but I believe that all four Beatles played on it. And this was during the very acrimonious uh, last days of the Beatles, where things were getting very tense, very ugly, very nasty, as I'm learning about listening to the audiobook uh, of this book called You Never Give Me My Money. I mean, You Never Give Me Your Money, which has been a fascinating book, but that's a conversation for another time. Um, so very fun uh, song. And one other interesting little tidbit features saxophone by none other than Brian Jones. I was just about to ask. Yeah, that's right. That, he must have done that. 
I mean, really close to before he died, right? Because if that's 68, 69, I think he dies pretty soon. Like, in 69. I don't think well, he makes it like, to 70. I mean, I was going to say, it's like Brian Jones. It's like, it's almost like he just won't die. You know? It's <laughs> like, I thought you were dead, man. Like, I always hear these Beatles stories, and they're like, Brian Jones was there. And I'm like, I thought this guy was dead. Like, he just never seems to die. But I guess he, I mean... He had to have died in the 60s, right? I feel like 69, 70. Um, I want to say maybe his last record was like, meet me at the station. I don't think it's Sticky Fingers. It may have been, and not Goat's Head Soup. Like, again, my Rolling Stones discography. But like that was one of the last records. But I, I think it is like 69 or 70. I mean, he kind of dies right before... Hendrix and uh, Janice and uh, Jim Morrison, as it were. But that, mm. that is a, it's a crazy song. I remember listening to it. It's like, you know my name. You know, you know my name. Pick up the number. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. And I think kind of going along with our theme is it's a fun song. And it's okay that it doesn't mean anything. It does, it's okay that you, it doesn't have any great deeper meaning. Uh, but it's, it's just fun to listen to. And it's kind of all over the place. It's real... It's got a, a pinch of every little bit of music in there. Yeah, it's got, and you know, it's a great document of the playful charm of the Beatles, which, you know, is one of the the greatest facets of the Beatles myth, not to be um, overlooked. So why don't we hear a little bit of that right now? Okay, Adam, now that I've said my number five, what do you have to kick off your list? All right. Well, I hope this doesn't sound like sacrilege, but my number five is Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Ah, yes. Sergeant yes. Pepper. Uh, just a few, a few notes about the song. Uh, this was based off of a 19th century Pablo Fanks circus poster that John Lennon bought. Uh, apparently while they were filming the music video for uh, Strawberry Fields Forever. I believe they were uh, somewhere kind of in the middle part of, of England. And uh, he just found it in a little shop and bought it. And, you know, the song is really him just reading, John Lennon just reading what's off of this poster. He added one or two things here. Uh, but I, in terms of just being like nonsense, I mean, the lyrics are just him reading a poster. And, and uh, it reminds me too, I think I have this John Lennon solo anthology and, there's like a 30 to 30 seconds to one minute song where it may have been in one of the Bermuda tapes. All John is doing is like, he's playing guitar and singing like Bob Dylan and he's just reading the newspaper. And he's like, and it looks like the United Arab Emirates will need to find more of a solution to problems in the Middle East. And NASDAQ was up seven points only to find itself plateaued again. And so, Again, uh, John has this knack for also at the beginning of uh, A Day in the Life, right? 
I read the news today, oh boy. He's just reading about something that he'd read in the paper and he thought, well, this is kind of weird and psychedelic. Uh, I'm going to use it as, as, as food for my songs here. Uh, so that's kind of where this being for the benefit of, of Mr. Kite comes from. However, uh, I really think that this is a real forerunner to I Am The Walrus that comes out a year later in terms of just all the different kinds of production value that went into this song and trying to make it sound like it's a uh, you know, 19th century circus from uh, you know, in, in the United Kingdom. And so all the different kinds of organs and, and trying to make it sound like it's something else and it's just you know, uh, stitched together. It's really just, I think, the Beatles uh, flexing their, their muscle. And I think of a song, or I think of albums like Pet Sounds, and this is just the next logical progression of what could be done for albums uh, like Pet Sounds going into being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. What do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. I think it's like the, what do you say, the red-headed stepchild, is that a saying? Yes. Of Pet Sounds. Because it is, I think, it's not the most enjoyable song for my money, but it mm-hmm. is all, it is a, it is a uh, really uh, huge sort of studio accomplishment. And I think at its peak, when it reaches sort of like a musical cacophony and there's like some kind of reverse guitar solo or something going on, it's really makes your head spin. That certainly has a sinister vibe to it that, you know, Brian Wilson could never, I think, imitate. That was one of uh, John Lennon's greatest assets was his sort of slightly sinister, mischievous, um, angsty edge. Did you know that this song was banned by the BBC? No, I did not know that. Heavens, why? Uh, Because they were, uh, they found it objectionable, the line, Henry the horse dances the waltz, because they considered that the term Henry and horse were slang for heroin. Oh, yeah, well, can't get anything past them. (laughs) Uh, I did see that, uh, I think in the 70s, John Lennon had said it wasn't a song that he was proud of, and at that point they were going through the motions. However, I think in 1980, he maybe relaxed a little bit, and was like, it's more pure. It's like painting watercolors, right? So I think as he got a little older, towards the end of his life, unfortunately, he he was a little more um, sympathetic about it. I think I think he was he was like, oh, that was just us being weird and painting with with words, right? Again, it doesn't have to mean anything, but it's just a collage, a sound collage, and uh, and the lyrics were just a part of that that painting. So that's my number five. your number four number four i have everybody's got something to hide except me and my, my monkey Ooh. oh how about that and this is of course a john lennon uh song from the white album and 
he did sort of ascribe some meaning to it, uh, giving it some sort of sense, making it not complete nonsense, I suppose. And to him, he described it as being a song about him and Yoko, pretty obviously. Um, they were, of course, in the throes of sort of infatuation and love during that time, during the White Album sessions. And he had a feeling that they were existing in this sort of state of total bliss and uh, calm, and everyone around them seemed very paranoid, um, mainly about Yoko Ono and what she was doing there, and etc. But I would still qualify it as a sort of uh, nonsense song. The Beatles, or as many people, including McCartney, according to my Wikipedia research, uh, for a while interpreted that Monkey was not a reference to Yoko Ono, but was a reference to heroin. Because sometimes, I don't know, people would say, refer to heroin as a monkey. Get that monkey off your back type of thing. Oh, I got you, yeah. John and Yoko were starting to get into heroin at that time. But to hear John tell it, it was not really a song about heroin. But you know what? That's all beside the point. Because we're talking about nonsense songs. So no need to make sense of it. I just always thought that this is such a cool track. And when I got the White Album when I was a teenager at 16... This was immediately one of my favorites, and I just don't know how anyone could just dismiss it, uh, not to make any assumptions, but I just think this song is so cool and so like forward-thinking and ahead of its time, and it's just always been one of my favorites. And if you've checked out the outtake from the recently released White Album remix um, bonus materials, it's a really, it's very different, very cool, uh, different version to hear of this song. So is that, the, hear... uh, is that the Escher demos that you're talking about? Well, yeah, I don't know if the Escher, well, there's like, with that remix, the deluxe set, you know, they have the set of the Escher demos, but then they have the studio outtakes. I'm talking about the studio right. outtakes, oh, the rehearsal gotcha. takes, full band thing, kind of like very loose, but like really loose but tight if you know what i'm saying i don't I've know if the there. Escher demo is that compelling when you stand it up against the uh studio recordings but why don't we hear a bit of that album cut right now Okay, now Adam, why don't you tell us your number four? My number four is only a northern song. Uh, this is a song I really like, and I want to. I should have said this earlier. I love all of these songs. I don't think any less of them. I really like them. I just kind of accept them for what they are. And I remember being in college, maybe sophomore year of college, and I was obviously listening to the Beatles. I feel like I went through a phase as I was listening to only a Northern song. I just thought, what a weird far out song that I had never heard before, right? You know, you've heard Strawberry Fields Forever. You've heard A Day in the Life. Uh, you've heard Hey Jude, right? But no one ever plays only a Northern song. And it is just like a cacophony of sounds, all different manner of noises. 
but it's also a typical George Harrison song because it's uh, sardonic and the title Only a Northern Song is, is meant to be a pun. A, a Northern song is, you know, he's from the North, he's from Liverpool. But another aspect is that uh, the Beatles catalog up until I believe 65 was under a publishing known as Northern Songs Limited. And, uh, and how I understand it, again, I, this is my uh, very cursory knowledge of economics and business. Uh, in order for the Beatles to avoid paying tax, their catalog could be set up as a company almost. Like it's, it's a, a company that was called Northern Songs Limited. Uh, with John and Paul as principal songwriters, they got 15% of any of the profits that came from their music. Whereas George Harrison was only a junior songwriter, and he only got 0.8% of Ooh, any profits. So that's of all, Be all Beatles music. So if it was his songs, John's songs, anybody. But if it's his song, you know, John still got 15 Paul still got 15%. And so much like, you know, Taxman or something like that, you know, it's kind of a song just to dig about the crummy situation that it is. And he's just like, well, this is only a Northern song. It's not really that important. Uh, the harmony may sound dark and out of key, but that's how it's supposed to be, right? It's uh, it's kind of a kiss-off. It also reminds me of, uh, I'm not sure, Beatlet, if you're familiar with Marvin Gaye, his song, I think it's called, or his album, it's called Here, My Dear. Have you ever heard of that? No. So this is famous. I believe in the mid to late 70s, Marvin Gaye was getting divorced from his wife, Anna Gordy Gad, believe the sister to Barry Gordy. They're getting a divorce, and uh, she was after him for the alimony. And he was at the time he was a little broke, and so he cut a deal where his uh, ex-wife would get half of the proceeds of his next album to square that alimony suit. Right. So he said, the, "My next album, half of that is going to go to my ex-wife." Well, forget that. So he put together this album. It's called Here, My Dear. And it's all songs like they're kind of crummy and they're not really good. But he, the whole point is he knows that it, that will satisfy his fiduciary uh, obligation. Wow. And so I kind of feel like this for George Harrison is like, well, look, you know, he got his feelings hurt. And like, this is a crummy deal. Uh, I believe he ble he blames Dick James. You know, we always kind of read about Dick James as, as a publisher and that George Harrison says, you know, in 63, I was 20, and he put this contract in front of me. I signed it, and I didn't realize that I wasn't going to get, you know, the royalties to my songs. I was, it was not going to profit off of them. So that's really just, like, the whole point of the song is that it's only a northern song. Uh, however, I believe when you listen to it, it's pretty far out. I believe, and this may just be an Adam Danger off the wall and obnoxious sentiment, but I really believe that you can draw a line from this to like shoegaze music. Like you can draw a line from this to My Bloody Valentine in terms of just having so many discordant noises, uh, you know, wacky guitar. Like I, I really can hear, uh, you know, uh, Dinosaur Jr. or something like that in uh, uh, in only a Northern song. I don't. Do you have? Do you ever listen to this one? Oh, yeah, I've listened to it. And uh, now, after hearing your audacious claim, yeah. i go back and listen to it again. I definitely scrolled past it in doing the research um, for this episode. And 
gave it a look, but I I didn't listen to it. So it's been a while since I listened to it, but I'll definitely check it out now that you've compared it to My Bloody Valentine. In fact, why don't we hear some of it right now? And we're back. Well, that was uh, certainly an enjoyable interlude into uh, Beatle dealings with money and uh, publishing rights. But moving along, I believe we're up to number three. Uh, Beatle Ed, what is your number three nonsense song? Well, I just want to say, it seems like half of George's songs are about money. Oh, yeah. Or getting screwed. He's kind of a bitter guy. I think he had one of those like sue me, sue you blues. Uh, oh yeah. And then tax after man. tax man, after uh, all things must pass, and he got in trouble for that. Uh, it is thirty three and a third, and he has a song called uh, "There's Nothing Bright About It." This song, uh, and it, again, I think the company that had owned the rights to "He's So Fine" had sued. You know, the publisher had sued George Harrison. And his music company was called like Bright Music. So he's like, there's nothing bright about it, this song. And everybody knows you're gonna go away. I love money. It's 1975 and I'm hung <laughs> out with Gerald Ford. I'm George Harrison. That's how I remember the song going. But oh, I'm sorry. I heard that. Oh, do you have to check right out now. this song? But uh, what oh, is your... All right, at number three, I've got my third John Lennon song in a row. We got And Your Bird Can Sing. Oh, okay. This one, you know, I find I was I was kind of struggling to find a fifth, honestly, even though I came up with this idea. There were some songs that I wasn't willing to categorize as nonsense songs. I'm sure there's one song that we both have in mind. You were saying earlier, some songs, some songs are throwaways, and then some songs are kind of elevated to you know high poetry and i bet we're thinking about the same song we'll have to see if it ends up on either of our lists yeah but this one i was like i don't know is this a nonsense throwaway song or is this like you know just some really great sort of abstract prose on john lennon's part which i do believe it is both but when i went to the wikipedia article and i saw the quote straight from the man's lips where he called it another one of my throwaways fancy paper around an empty box I thought, well, there it is right there. And that gave me license to include in my list. Had to put it in number three because it's one of my favorite Beatles songs, you know, of all time. Um, but what is there to say about it? There's been much, I saw the Wikipedia article complain, claimed that, or quoted a journalist or a music critic as saying, one of the most hotly debated topics in Beatles lore is like what this song is about. No one was ever really able to pin it down. There have been theories that it was about Frank Sinatra inspired by a um, by a profile that uh, Gay Talese wrote. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah from Alabama. Yeah. So some people speculate that Lennon had read the piece on Sinatra and had written this in response. Other people thought it had to do with Mick Jagger 
and his girlfriend around that time, Marianne Faithful, although I think the timeline doesn't match up. And Cynthia Lennon herself uh, suspected that it was inspired by a little mechanical singing bird that she had given uh, John Lennon as a gift. Apparently the original uh, working title of the song was You Don't Get Me. And so she saw it as a song about her and their relationship and how he never really felt seen or understood by her kind of a raw deal on her part. But in any case, it's a great song. It's got like the best riff. It's like, you know, it's the epitome, I feel like, of that revolver era where they were taking a whole lot from the birds and their influence and still writing very concise uh, very airy types of pop songs, but now moving into more sort of abstract or you could say nonsensical themes. Do you have any thoughts or wisdom to share on this track, Adam? Danger? I believe I believe it's on maybe Anthology 2 where there's like a recording of this. And I think the Paul and John are trying to add uh, backing vocals, but they're just laughing the whole time. So you just hear it playing in the background when your boat is broken and then they're just like <laughs> and it brings you down so if you want to hear uh i'll be a knocking i'll be round and so uh if you want to check it out it's pretty funny it almost makes you think like they were off their heads or whatever in the recording studio they're just giggling the whole time uh but i, I had to agree with you too that uh awesome guitar so like awesome guitar opening um and yeah, it's it's a cool song, but I never really thought about the words before. Like I never thought like it ever meant anything. But uh, I'm I'm surprised you put that down there. Surprised and delighted, I must say. Controversial pick. you got in number three my number three is another john winston lennon ono uh song glass onion i I always liked glass onion um i always thought it sounded pretty kooky again what i really got into the white album maybe freshman year of college like i really started listening to it and so i'd listen to all the songs in order and then start over again and listen over And, and i just remember again liking Glass Sunny, and I thought it was really cool. And I, I bought into it when he said, the walrus was Paul, right? And I thought, well, maybe was that really a message? And it turns out that this song is really, it's directed at the fans, and it's really kind of like a joke's on you kind of thing. Like, if you're going to read so much into our lyrics and everything, you know, you're a fool, right? So it's I'm just throwing words together, and I'm actually commenting on Beatle fandom in and of itself, but it's not, you know... Uh, there's no great meaning behind any of our songs, which I, I don't think. I think they play fast and loose with it. You know, you can't really say that about all you need is love, right? Like, you can't just say, oh, the words don't matter. It was just a good tune, right? Obviously, that song means something. It's supposed to mean something. But some of these are just, again, where the lyrics are just putting it together. But this one, I I feel it's kind of nasty, too. I feel like it's just like um, that, uh, oh, he, 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 you dumb, dumb. Like, don't p- try to pin this on me. Don't try to... Uh, don't try to ascribe any meaning to our songs. 
but also as listeners, we have to ascribe meaning to it because it means so much to us and they really do mean something and it's up to our interpretation. So uh, sometimes I feel like he's trying to have it both ways. And sometimes the Beatles do try to have it both ways. Like if there's something they want to get out of, they can be like, Oh, whatever. It was the white album. We can do whatever we want. We had artistic license to kill, so to speak. Uh, an interesting uh, fact what I read too, was that glass onion uh, was a name that John Lennon had floated for the band the Ivies, who eventually became Bad Finger. So can you imagine Bad Finger being Glass Onion? Wow. Wouldn't that have been something? I always thought that was a cool track. I remember when I first heard it as a young and I was kind of turned off by sort of how self-referential it was, you know? But I mean, of course, right. that's the whole point. But really cool track. Awesome. Just like... I mean, yeah, just the recording, the performance is really great. And I need to, that's that's one that I've probably underestimated over the years. I need to go back and listen to that again. Why don't we listen to it now? Good idea. And it opens with that awesome uh, snare drum. I told you about so Well, we're moving up to number two. Number two, Beatlehead. Where are the you at? Stretch. The mm -hmm. home stretch. All right, number one and two, you know, it's hard to pick them. But in the end, you guys got to tell yourself that it doesn't really matter. So I just put at number two, I've got Helter Skelter. Oh, okay. Okay. Paul McCartney has entered the chat. <laughs> Now, I guess, I mean, Helter Skelter, yeah, you got to, let's see, I got, some, I got some quotes here. Of course, we all know the famous story um, is one of the more, more well-trodden Beatles tales, was that around the time of the White Album, uh, Paul McCartney read an interview with Pete Townsend, where he was quoted as saying that his band, The Who, had just recorded the uh, loudest, most hard-rocking song ever put onto wax and apparently according to none of the wikipedia the song he was referring to was i can see for miles mm -hmm. and paul mccartney was very uh piqued by this but when he heard the track he found that it was not at all as pete townsend had described it and that it was actually comparatively pretty straight um to what paul had expected and so he thought to himself, quote, oh, well, we'll do one like that then. So then he set about trying to record a song with a, uh, or let's see, the most raucous, quote, the most raucous vocal, the loudest drums, etc. And he referred to it as, quote, just a ridiculous song. Uh, this has always been one of my favorite songs. And I think the way I justify putting it high up on the list and it being one of my favorite songs is that I think one of the most interesting things about the Beatles is sort of the distance that they traveled in their brief time together, you know, a period of, I think, short of 10 years of making music together. They went from Love Me Do to just 
you know, these like deep into outer space, uncharted territories of music, popular music. And I think you could make a reasonable argument for Helter Skelter being sort of the farthest out they ever went, you know? When you compare this to Love Me Do, for example, it's just, I mean, it's light years away. And, you know, many people attribute Paul McCartney and the Beatles for birthing heavy metal or hard rock in this one track. And I think it's not their best song, but as far as the nonsense song goes, you know, for not being about anything in particular, this song has had a huge influence and a huge impact. Uh, we don't even need to get into the whole Charles Manson stuff. Aside from that guy, I think, you know, the impact of the music has been huge. You know, there's a, I don't know if it's, again, on Beatles Anthology, but there's a really cool demo. I I don't know where you even have it from, but it's it's like take 12, and it's just a slow 12-bar blue version, 12-bar blues version of it. And it's just slow. It's like, do-go-do-go-do-go-do, clank, oh, yeah. clank, I got it. I was, clank. I was obsessed with that when I finally found out about it when I was like a, yeah, sophomore in college and you know with this recent white album reissue and box set they released the same outtake but now it's like the one they have on the new box set is what like 16 minutes long right i mean the best the best bits are were in the anthology version but i'm not gonna say no to another l 10 minutes of it bring it on and i like uh and i guess i never understood like the little chorus was like hell to skelter but then paul also says like Hell for leather, which I only now understand is like a, a British phrase for like uh, like a bat out of hell, like you, you an urgency, a charge for urgency. And that's only oh. because I listened to another podcast. Uh, this guy's like, well, they're sure going hell for leather. And they're like, oh. And in the context, it's always like, yeah, they're really getting after it. Um, and, uh, and our American uh, idiom would be, uh, would be, like I said, a bat out of hell. So uh, we got to start incorporating that into our everyday conversation. Uh, Why don't we start incorporating listening to Helter Skelter? Now, don't get any ideas, fab listeners. I got blisters on my fingers. I'm sure you do after listening to that one. Holy smokes. Oh, I got blisters on me eardrums. (laughs) All right, Adam, let's hear your number two. Now, you might be a little upset at me because I feel like I slightly cheated here. But uh, no. I can do that because I, you know, am Atom Danger, and that's fine. My number two song, it is a Paul McCartney song. It's called Bip Bop off of, uh, off of Wings uh, Wildlife, 1971. Have you heard this one? You're telling me you went solo career? Just for this one. Wow. I can't believe you've gone, you've gone off-road here. <laughs> this is highly un- unorthodox, but we'll allow it. I have heard the album Wildlife, but and I think I have it in a box somewhere, but I've not listened to it enough to recall Bit Bop. I think uh, 
a couple of years ago, I was lis- I was on Spotify and I was listening to just like the best of Paul McCartney. And it was like solo Paul McCartney wings stuff, and so had a lot of cool songs like Arrow Running Through Me. I always like that one's a real groovy song. And uh, what was it Uncle Albert and Admiral Halsey? But then I heard Bip Bop, and I'd never heard it before. And okay, this is how the song goes. This is my interpretation of it. it goes Bip Bop, Bip Bip Bop. And then Paul puts in something about like, uh, put your hair in curlers and treat me like a man. Then you've got bit bop. So again, I think this is a classic nonsense because again, the lyrics don't really matter. But I also like that this is early 70s McCartney, which um, we talked about offline a little bit. You know, those... Paul being a hard rocker, you know, the, the bass line is pretty good. It's a good rocking little song. It's just the lyrics don't mean anything. It doesn't amount to too much. But I definitely give it a, a, a listen. It kind of shows, you know, Paul's rocking roots, so to speak. Uh, and it's just a delightful, delightful little song that doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't have to. surprising pick very surprising oh i'm full of uh, it's true well now that i know there's no rules there's no telling what i'll do but i'll have to check that one out bit bop didn't see anyone coming all right so now to close out my list at number one can you guess it take one guess actually don't guess you wouldn't guess it anyways my guess my pick is hello Goodbye. All right, right. Which is a Paul McCartney track. Was released as a non-album single. Um, let's see. It was sometime around the late sixties, obviously. Or I guess we could place it in time with this little factoid. Apparently, uh, John Lennon was arguing for another very famous uh, nonsense song, arguably called "I Am the Walrus." to be released as the single. He wanted that as the A-side, and he wanted to push Paul's track, Hello Goodbye, to the B-side, but ultimately he had to admit that Hello Goodbye was probably more commercially viable, which it did prove to be, went to number one, and though it's not on any albums, you'll find it on the Beatles uh, Beatles One compilation of their number one hits. Um Paul McCartney, I mean, this is obviously a pretty nonsense song. As legend has it, the aide, the assistant to Brian Epstein, famous Beatles manager Alastair Taylor, one time asked Paul how he writes songs. And so as a songwriting exercise, Paul went and sat down at the harmonium, um, as the story goes, and told Taylor to just... Uh, blurred out the opposite of what whatever word Paul said. So they engage in this little writing exercise saying black, white, up, down, hello, goodbye. And out of this came this song, um, which ended up being a massive hit for the Beatles. But, you know, this used to always be in con- contention for my favorite Beatles songs of all time. You know, uh, albeit when I was a younger guy, 
I, I do pay a little more attention to lyrics these days, but um, I just think that I love this song. It is so joyful and it is just so um, colorful and bright and uplifting and energetic and propulsive. And it's got that great sort of, um, you know, anthemic outro to it. And it's just always been one of my favorites. And I guess, you know, with this list, I just wanted to stand up for songs like Hello Goodbye that they may not have the same sort of lyrical import to them that, say, Strawberry Fields Forever has, but it is by no means a throwaway song. I love this song. feel about this song adam no i love it i love it as well uh i also remember you know it's one of the early instances of a music video right like a proper music video where the beatles yes. are wearing those like white tuxedos and dancing around and i when you were thinking of the time it has to be before 68 it's before they go to india and obviously before the white album so it's going to be like maybe christmas 67 going into 68 because I believe that's on Magical Mystery Tour, and Magical Mystery Tour, uh, I believe, aired Christmas '67 uh, in the United Kingdom. So uh, again, the music video that would have been that we see now was a, was a part of uh, of Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, so you know, I, I think of, I can always see it in color. When you said like vibrant and propulsive, you know, I can only see it in color. I see you see like reds and yellows and. I say go, 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 no, no, you say goodbye. And it's kind of funny because when you think of songs like off of Magical Mystery Tour, even White Album, this one really stands apart. And I feel like you can't, it's really hard to date when did this song come out? Because this song could have come out in 77 or hell, 87, right? Like it, it still sounds so fresh and new and the production was so good on it. Uh, it's always hard for me to, to think like, well, when did this song come out? Uh, so, but I think it just adds to the timelessness of it. Yeah, you reminded me. It was. It did come out on the U.S. Uh, Magical Mystery Tour, and I think in the promotional clip, although maybe I read that they filmed multiple promotional clips, but there's one of them where they have donned their famous Sergeant Pepper outfits again. Ah. Um, in one of the videos, if you remember that. So that's that was cool. Okay, Adam, what tops Adam Danger's list of the top five Beatles nonsense songs? In quotations. Well, this song I really, really like. It's, it's one of my favorites. But this is also a song that my brother just scoffs at. My, my brother, Joshy Numbers, who you can hear on my other shows, uh, Taking a Blitz. He just thinks this is the stupidest song. So dumb. And I love it. It is Hey Bulldog uh, by the Beatles. And, oh, hell uh, yeah. It has one of the best, you know, bass lines. It's such a great, groovy song. Um, it's also, you know, it's been sampled 
uh, throughout the years by hip hop artists and, and other artists, just because it's such a killer groove. And I think this is one of the rare instances where the Beatles show how you know how groovy they can get, and they can when they really put their minds to it, they can really make something that is danceable, that can be proto funk, as it were. legendary hey bulldog as i recall the beatles were in the studio to make a promotional film like they were going to film the beatles making an album being in the studio while they were there they just said well let's actually make a song right like i'm sure they were just like oh let's just have you you know ringo uh fixing his cymbals and then tuning a guitar i said well no we can actually do that and so that's in that you know 8 10 12 hour session or whatever they made hey bulldog and I, as I was reading that uh, John Lennon had come in, I guess he'd come in with just the basic parts of the song. I believe it was called Hey Bullfrog. But while they were singing it, they just changed it to Bulldog. And then they started barking at the end of it. Um, I also read that, I think, before that, Paul McCartney had uh, done some session work with some British comedian. Uh, and it was like, the dog parade. And that included, like, barks and yowling and like whoop whoop ruff, ruff. and she's like oh we just did that on another record why don't we do it here right and so the song ends with them just going right right and it's like oh what did you say anonymous like it's just uh it's you know wild and it's out of control however i feel it's a great beatles song in that everybody shines the drums are great the bass is great uh one of the best guitar licks to open up a song like they're firing on all cylinders, which again, late in the Beatles' career, 68, 69, that didn't happen that much. You know, it was usually one guy's song and everyone just kind of just filled in the, the cracks or just, uh, but this is one of the last instances I feel like the Beatles actually played so well together. And you can see that they are really just, they're still got it. You know, they're still a rollicking uh, band that can that can really make a joyous noise um, when, you, when you listen to it. What about you, Beatlehead? What do you think about old... Hey, Bulldog. Oh, it's one of my favorite songs, no doubt. I love this song. Definitely on the list of best Beatles tracks. Always love this song. You're saying Josh hates this song? Yeah, I, he. my brother, for whatever reason, uh, I don't say he has a negative opinion of the Beatles, but he's one of he's definitely in the camp of like, oh, they're overrated, and I like the Rolling Stones better. And I don't know if that's just being a younger brother syndrome or what have you. But yeah. uh, uh, I just, whenever it comes on, I think even the Black Eyed Peas, maybe 10, 15 years ago, they had a song that sampled Hey Bulldog. And my brother was just like, roll no. his eyes. He's like, this is awful. I'll look into it. But this, again, this has been sampled before because it's a killer opening. Well, you know, if Josh, if Josh cannot enjoy Hey Bulldog, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> well, maybe you this will open Josh? up his eyes. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I'm gonna get it now. He's not gonna show uh, for rehearsal. No, I love this song. I love you know the uh, sequence in the Yellow Submarine film. I think it's probably for the best that they changed it from Bullfrog to Bulldog. It's got more of an edge to it. Uh, yeah, I always thought this is one of their best songs for sure. 
and I had conservative for my list, but you know, pretty remarkable that we didn't uh, have any of the same picks. Now, let me ask you: Did you consider Lucy in the Sky with diamonds for this list? No, no. One of uh, my parents. I spoke with my parents earlier today, and they had suggested like Wild Honey Pie, which I could have done that. And they had also brought in like Revolution Number Nine, right? But I feel like that's not really a nonsense song. That's just more of like an artistic art rock kind of art school rock, Velvet Underground, Metal Machine music. Like it goes in that same vein of just yeah, it's, a it's not so much collage. a song. Yeah, not so it's song. it's not a nonsense song that they were like, oh, I'm just gonna toss in some words and finish it right. So, uh, but no, I hadn't because because I like losing this guy with diamonds again. I, I put that in more of the surrealist. The lyrics are there to help paint the picture of this surrealist dream that that uh, John Lennon is having. It's not just that he just put words together because you know bullfrog sounded better than or bulldog sounded better than bullfrog, right? Like if he if he didn't put any effort into the lyrics. And then I would say, okay, that's more of a nonsense song. But uh, now, what what are some other contenders that you would have considered? No, oh, I don't know if I had many also rands, but yeah, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds clearly does not belong on this list. But you know, I think like about a month ago, I was talking about it with my girlfriend, and she had sort of she had sort of dismissed the lyrics as being nonsense. And you know, I guess I've been seething about that ever since. And I had to, I had to exercise my <laughs> frustration with this uh, episode. But let's see, I had Polythene Pam. We'll give that an honorable yeah. mention. Yeah, I had Sun King. I put Sun oh, King yeah. as maybe. I thought about that one. The thing about Sun King is it feels so serious, and like they put so much effort into the recording of it that it almost strips it of its would-be silliness. Is it, is it funny to you that a lot of the songs that we had are probably like post-67? Uh, so like some from Sgt. Pepper, some from Magical Mystery Tour, some from Yellow Submarine, and definitely from the White Album. I also thought of like Savoy Truffle, which again is a song I like, but I realize is like not the best pop song ever, right? It, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, but, well, yeah, uh, you feel like, I definitely noticed that, but you know, in their early career when they were young lads in suits... If they'd written this uh, psychedelic gobbledygook, they might have gotten thrown in prison. Who knows? They definitely, as they got more confident and got more artistic license, it allowed them to sort of do whatever they wanted. I definitely, you know, those younger years, in spite of all the danger... I'll do anything for you. That's one of my favorite early Beatle numbers. I think it's yeah, a quarryman number. You're more of an early Beatles guy than I. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. No doubt about that. Uh, I've lost my little girl. That's a good one. Uh, but that's for another show. Uh, fans, Beatle Ghouls, thank you for sticking in with us. Thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, whatever time of day you're listening to us. Uh, I hope you liked it. If you have any you know, reservations, keep them to yourself. Uh, <laughs> uh, Beetle, any last words for our listeners? No, it's been fun, and uh, I look forward to the next conversation. I'll let you pick the topic this time. Yeah, maybe I'll break some more rules while we're at it. Uh, once again, if you really enjoyed our show, even if you didn't enjoy our show, go ahead and like us. And subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a little rating. Leave us a little blurb if you don't mind. Uh, definitely check out some of our other shows. Taking a Blitz. 
and not so high fidelity. And, uh, you know, I hope this finds you well. So from Beta Lead, this is Atom Danger. I'm signing off as I salute you. Mm-hmm.